Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, I want to welcome not only those of you here in the main worship center, but those worshiping in the venue and our resonate service. So glad that you're back this morning for continuation of our series entitled Red Letter Lessons as we look at the words of Jesus in the gospel accounts and uh, hearing powerful lessons from the lips of our Savior. Last week we looked at what it means to be a follower as Jesus talked about taking up your cross and following him. And our big idea last week was following Christ is not a minor adjustment. It's a radical change. So I hope that if you missed that message, you'll go back and listen to the podcast as it fits into our series of Red Letter Lessons. Well, today we're going to learn something very interesting about ourselves from Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6. Something that was true in the first century, and it's still true in the 21st century. Something I know about you that is true because it's true about me. You have issues. <laughs> you do. You have issues. And if, if you're not sure that that's true, let me convince you. Every bad decision you have ever made, every mistake you have ever made, every sin you have ever committed, they all have one thing in common. You were there. You were there. The common denominator for every misstep you've ever taken, every wrong turn you've ever made, the common denominator was you. And it's true for me as well. And many of those times, we knew those choices were not the best choices or the right thing to do, but we did them anyway. And why would we do that? How confusing is it that many times we even know the right thing to do, but we do the wrong thing. Well, it's not a new problem that's unique to us. The great Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian missionary and evangelist the church has ever known, the Apostle Paul said about himself in Romans 7 verse 15, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You see, the Apostle Paul had issues too. And until you and I come to terms with the reality that we have issues, the transforming power of God's grace will never be fully able to make us emotionally and spiritually healthy. Now, the issues that we have in life come from a number of different sources. Uh, Some of your issues and mine have to do with our personalities. Uh, Our pastoral staff has been recently studying uh, the Enneagram. Some of you may be familiar with that. It's an ancient system of uh, classifying different types of personalities, the Enneagram, and it, it identifies nine different basic personality types. And as you study these different personality types, and there's a test you take to see which one uh, is more of who you really are, each one of these personality types has strengths 
and weaknesses and tendencies that are just inherent with that personality type. And some of your issues and mine have to do with our personality types. Some of our issues have to do with the home in which we grew up. It has to do with our parents and our family, our family of origin, our family culture. There are just some things that make us who we are and make us tend to do what we do because of the family we grew up in, the parents we had, or whoever raised us, our background, our personal history. Some of our issues are related to the troubles in our lives. Troubles that we've been through in the past that have impacted us and shaped our behavior are troubles that we might be going through right now that affect our thoughts, our actions, our words, our decisions. There are a number of different factors that affect the issues in our life. And God wants to deal with us related to our issues. But Jesus in Luke chapter 6 identifies a behavior that can keep us from allowing God to deal with those issues. And it's true what our big idea says today. Your issues will never come into focus as long as you're focused on someone else's issues. As long as you're looking at somebody else's issues, and by the way, they're easier to see often than our own. And as long as you're focused on somebody else's issues, your issues will never become as clear as they need to be for God to do what he wants to do. And so here are the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 6, and we'll begin with verse 37. Jesus said, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Now, the word translated here, judge, means to pronounce an opinion concerning right or wrong, an evaluation, a judgmental edict. The word condemn here means to pronounce guilty, to presume authority over someone in some way in which you judge them, you pronounce them to be guilty of this or that. And when we judge or condemn someone, even if it's only privately in our own mind, we are elevating ourselves over them in a way that we have no right to do. Now, I want to be clear here. This is not the same as coaching or mentoring someone in an area of life or a sport or a discipline or, or, or some area uh, of life. When we're called upon to do that, evaluating something in, in them is just part of the process. But what we're talking about here is passing a speculative judgment on their motives and on their heart questioning their character or integrity as if we can see what in reality only God can see, as if we know what in truth we do not and cannot know. 
So it comes down to this. Do you believe the best about people or the worst about people? Are you looking for the good in people? Are you looking for the fault in people? And then to to further illustrate this issue, beginning in verse 41, Jesus uses an imagery that really is pretty humorous. Here's what he says, verse 41. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own. Now the word translated there, speck, is just a little tiny piece of straw that might have flown into to someone's eye. Just, just a little tiny piece of debris. And then the word translated here, log, means a, a beam or a, or a plank, a piece of, of wood. In, in them, it's, it's some minuscule fault or issue. And in you with a log, it's something huge. And so Jesus plays out that imagery in verse 42. He said, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with your, the speck in your friend's Aye. And when Jesus said those words, they got the image of somebody having a log in their eye. And if you have a log in your eye, you can't, you can't help anybody. Sweetheart, come here a minute, would you? Right up here on stage. You didn't know I was going to call on you in the middle of the sermon, did you? If you have a, a log in your eye and she has a speck, I can't even get to it. I can't even reach her. Thank you very much. I mean, what, what an image, what a, what a ridiculous thing to think we can help somebody else with some little issue of life when we've got a huge issue that is not being dealt with in our own life. And Jesus uses a term here about people who would do that. He said, you're a hypocrite. If you're a log-in-the-eye person trying to to look for specks in other people's eyes. You're a hypocrite, and the term there in the original means a pretender, an actor, a fraud. If you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a a speck finder with the log in your eye, then your profession doesn't match your performance. It's an incompatible attitude with one who would claim to be a Christ follower. Now, again, I want to be clear. Jesus is not saying we should not help one another. Uh, In fact, when we invite it and welcome it, then what people speak into us about the issues in our lives that need our attention is helpful. The, The Scripture calls it iron sharpening iron, but not to the blind exclusion of your own issues. So what Jesus is, in essence, saying here is, first, deal with your own issues. Deal with what God wants to do in your life. Before you try to help others with what God needs to do in their life, deal with your own issues. And why would we not do that? Why would we be obsessed with a speck in somebody's eye when we've got a log in ours? Because it's a way to hide in denial and not deal with our own issues. 
It's a way to distract ourselves by being busy speck-finding and throwing rocks at others instead of letting God do his work in us. The truth is, we all have issues, right? We all have issues, things that need to be refined, things that need to be purged from our heart, our mind, and our life. Some of those are sin that God needs to deal with. And that sounds like bad news, but let me give you some really good news. God is bigger than every one of your issues. God is bigger than every one of those things that are at work in a negative, destructive way in your life and mine. There is nothing that his grace and mercy cannot heal, even our sin. And that is the life that he's calling us to, that he is constantly dealing with those things in our life. God calls us to a journey where he reveals and cleanses the ungodly things from our hearts. And when we embrace that journey, when we understand that's supposed to be how life following Jesus unfolds, when we embrace that journey and God's transformational power and grace, then he wants to bring us to a place where we pray constantly prayers like the one the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Look at that prayer with me. Most of you know it. Psalm 139, 23, the psalmist prays, search me, O God, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. That could be translated there. Test me and know my issues. Reveal my sins. Reveal my struggles. Reveal what needs to be changed so that they are not hidden any longer in the darkness of my denial. And then he prays, verse 24, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life, the path of following Jesus. Listen, Christ follower, this is a critical issue in our spiritual lives. For every serious Christ follower, we need to come to that place where we are continually open for God to reveal anything in us that offends him so that he might do his work of grace and cleansing in us. Open to God to reveal and to forgive and to correct any hidden sin, any unchristlike attitude or word or action from our heart and from our life. It is God's will for every one of you who are a Christ follower to continually, progressively be conformed into the image of Christ so that the further we go in that journey of following him, the more we begin to resemble our Lord. The theological term is sanctification. God desires for every one of us to be a work in progress. And so the question I have for you is this. Do you have a conscious, intentional process happening in your life? 
Is God at work in you in a way that is changing you? Or are you resisting that? Are you trying to settle for mediocrity? Or are you resisting that change that he wants to make every day in your life? If you are, you're in a dangerous place spiritually. If you come to a place where your heart is closed to God's purifying fire, you have grown cold, cold to him. And if you think of God only as a safety net for the troubles in your life, you don't understand God's purpose of sanctification. Troubles are not to punish you unless you are being disciplined by God. Troubles are are not some kind of cosmic karma that's going on. Listen, troubles in our lives are things that God either sends or allows. Either he intentionally, providentially, with purpose, sends them directly into your life, or it's a part of what just happens living in a fallen world with fallen people, and God allows that to flow into your life as the natural course of life, and he allows it with a purpose. Listen, God refines and purifies us by taking us through difficult and painful experiences. If we only think of God as a trouble you know, fallback position, if he's our safety net, if he's supposed to be the one who catches us and eases our pain, if that's our image, then we don't understand what it is he wants to do in us. Here's how James, the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the Jerusalem church in the first century, explains it for us in the book in the New Testament that bears his name. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. Listen, listen closely. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now let's just be honest. That sounds really weird to us, does it not? That sounds strange. Troubles, joy, those things seem incompatible. They they seem to, to contradict one another. Why in the world would we get joy out of trouble? Well, verse 3 begins the explanation. For you know that when your faith is tested, and that's what troubles do, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. James is saying, your troubles did not come into your life as an accident. God didn't one day lean over the edge of heaven and go, oh, would you look what's happening to him down there? I never saw that coming. No, no, no. Troubles come into our lives with purpose. God takes no joy in our pain, but he has purpose in our pain. And that purpose is to strengthen your faith, to cause you to depend on him when there's no one else you can depend on, to believe him when you cannot see it, to believe him when you do not feel it, 
to know that he is at work with purpose in you, to develop in you, the verse says, endurance, spiritual stamina, to help you become more fully equipped to be that strong and mighty son or daughter of God that he intends for you to be. So when those things come into your life, James is saying, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Don't backtrack and begin to whine that, uh, in self-pity that God is mistreating you. Understand he has a purpose for what he has sent or allowed in your life. Don't fight it. Verse 4, so let it grow, meaning your faith. So let your faith grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, we've looked at this word before, uh, perfect, teleos in the Greek. It does not mean perfect as if I will be without any fault. It means fully mature. It means completely equipped. It means strong and healthy and and mature in your faith. That's God's desire for you as a follower of Christ. And though this process is a work of sanctifying grace that only God can perform, we have a choice as to how we receive what he sends with purpose. We have a choice. We can be selfish and sinful, or we can be godly and growing, and that choice is up to us. And when we turn inward and become selfish and sinful, when our hearts are sinful and judgmental, our words and actions bring condemnation on others. Here's what James said in chapter 3, verse 7. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. Can I get an amen there? No one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And we know that's true. 20 centuries later, there's not a person in the worship center or in the resonate service or watching online or even listening to the podcast, there's not a single person that has not been helped and strengthened and blessed by good words from someone, and there's not a person who's listening who has not been wounded by harsh and ugly and judgmental and cruel words by others. Every one of us have had both of those experiences. And as Christ followers, we have a choice of how we will use our words. And by the way, our words are nothing but a reflection of what's in our heart. A reflection of what's in our heart. And so James says, you need to understand the powerful difference between these two. Look at verse nine. He said, sometimes it, meaning the tongue, praises our Lord and Father. And in both of our services today, we have sung praises unto the Lord. We've used our tongues to give praise unto the Lord Jesus. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God, which is every single human being. And so, verse 10 says, blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. 
Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. What a difference when we come to that place in our journey that we are constantly praying that prayer out of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and show me those things that offend you and take them out of my heart. When we do that, he changes us from the inside out. When our hearts are right before the Lord, our lives will reflect his wisdom and his grace. In that third chapter of James, he said in verse 13, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. He's saying, listen, if you're truly a Christ follower, then prove it. Prove it by how you live. Prove it by your attitudes. Prove it by your actions. Prove it by your words. And then in verse 17, he gives such a beautiful description about what that kind of outlook and life looks like. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Jesus and James are trying to help us understand we're not supposed to be spec finders, we're supposed to be grace givers. Not spec finders, but grace givers. Not judgment and condemnation and criticism, but grace and mercy because God is at work in us. So let me ask you a question about your spiritual journey. Are you stuck on a spiritual plateau? Have you just kind of gotten to the point where you've settled for spiritual mediocrity in following Christ? Are you stuck on a spiritual plateau? Or are you a work in progress that's making progress? God wants us not to be the former, but to be the latter. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Two next steps and we're done. Number one, pray the prayer that we've looked at this morning from Psalm 139. Pray that prayer, search me, O God, and show me those things that are not pleasing to you. Pray that prayer and then listen carefully to what he says to you. By the way, if you ask him, guess what? He'll tell you. If you ask him and really want to know what's not pleasing to him about you and you really are open for him to tell you, he will. He will. And then number two, ask God to remove the log from your eye and to cleanse you of all judgment and condemnation toward others. If you're walking around with plank eye, Lay it down. And let God help you to see the good in others and to be a blessing to them. Give him the freedom to transform you progressively into the follower of Christ. 
he desires for you to be. But it'll never happen until you lay that log down and quit looking for the specks in others. Your issues will never come into focus as long as you're focused on someone else's issues. Let me pray for you. Thank you, our Father, for so many in the body of Christ here who are growing. They, they are learning more each day about what it means to be faithful as a follower of Christ. They're learning more every day about how not to live in their own strength but in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're learning what it, what it looks like and sounds like to act and to speak as a committed Christ follower. And Lord, none of us do it perfectly. Even the great apostle Paul said he had not arrived. And we never will fully arrive until we are home with you face to face. But we can become by your grace and your power and your mercy, teleos, complete, mature, so that when others look at us and listen to us and interact with us, they sense the one who lives in us, the Lord Jesus Christ, who saved us, whom we love, and who we seek to follow. Bless your people here in the encounter service. Bless your people in our resonate service. Bless those who are listening online. May we become more like Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. God bless you.